Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast, where we explore popular practices, songs, and ideas in the modern church world in the light of Sola Scriptura and Toto Scriptura. I'm Cody Fields, the president of Westminster Effects. You can buy stuff for your guitar at westminstereffects.com or at various and sundry dealers across the world. Uh, go buy it from them right now, not from me. I'm kind of busy. You can also join the discussion in the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook. You can support the show at anchor.fm. Even a dollar a month helps. Make sure you subscribe on whatever podcast catcher. Comment. Leave us a review. Five stars, even if this has been detrimental to your life. Uh, We are not joined by one Lutheran John Ross. Uh, His work schedule is kind of bonkers right now, but in person, I'm still joined by... Hey everybody, it's Bradley Cox, pastor at Resurrection Church in Greer, South Carolina. And we are, we're both just kind of crazy busy right now, so we're going to get right to it, right? Yes. I'm doing emails as we speak. Oh, good times. So... Multitasking. Multitasking. uh, The pinnacle of professional recording and stuff, since, (laughs) since I've never done the same thing ever, ever in my life. Uh, we got a question from Brian Morris, who says, we've been talking a lot about art in the group lately, and, and we have, whether Christian music is, or Christian art in general is terrible, and if it deserves that kind of uh, reputation, et cetera, et cetera. And so he says, how can we, as the church, foster a better environment for art and creativity, specifically an environment that strives for excellence and glorifying God? So I think one thing to do up front is to define terms. It's mm-hmm. kind of important. Mm-hmm. Uh, we think art and we immediately <clears throat> often go to things like visual art and music, mm-hmm. which isn't wrong, uh, but art is more than that. It also involves literature, and I do mean stuff like fiction. Uh, sure. it, it involves poetry, uh, even architectural design. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could even, I think, go so far, not just movies, but uh, even documentaries, uh, even web design. Mm. That, that has an artistic uh, facet to it, mm-hmm. I think. Um, so, how do we go about fostering that kind of environment where creatives can be creative? Uh, I actually have a lot of thoughts about this. Um, oh, and, and I would say that let me preface what I'm about to say with saying that I don't think that Res has my church, our church mm-hmm. has this, like we're doing this entirely well. Right. Because I right. don't think we are. I think there we have tons of weak areas in which we could grow beyond mm-hmm. where we are in fostering more, uh, more people participating in expressive, creative Right. ways to worship the Lord. I, mean, right. we, I think we have to think cr- Christian art in and of itself should be worship. I mean, it should be worshipful. Yes. We, we want to bring honor and glory to God in and through whatever it is, whether it's literature or writing or paintings not, or music. Uh, not necessarily appropriate for congregational worship. but Right, right, right. I'm talking about talking worship outside, more broadly. Yeah, yeah like, like it's a, it, it, it should invoke... If, if it is Christian art, like there's a difference, I think, between art that's done by a Christian mm-hmm. 
and 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 art that is in, in inherently Christian. If it's going to yeah. be, if 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 it's intended, you know, I I'm all for a individual believer, you know, having an artistic expression or or a way in which they want to express themselves artistically that may not necessarily it it could be done for the glory of god just in the sense that i'm using my gift well Mm -hmm. um but it may not necessarily be something that is meant to inspire others to worship Mm -hmm. in and of itself right um so i don't know maybe we could debate that but my point is i think the if it's christian art it should be worshipful um, it should be it should be for the glory of God. So how do we foster that more in the local church? Well, I think you got to start by thinking about where the local church te- the tendencies of the local church today in this part of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we have outsourced so much uh, in the sense that you know we we subscribe to all these services that help us facilitate church services mm-hmm. yeah right like we have and i'm not knocking on all these things because we use some of these things you know you got pro presenter planning you got center planning godsend planning center is a godsend <laughs> we we subscribe to song select and other places so that we get you know music charts at will you know like i mm-hmm. when i started in local church ministry we had to buy hard copies right of things right and and hard copies had to be printed and whatnot and then and, hope the xerox machine wasn't exactly acting up that day but you know like we a lot of churches pay musicians you know they hire in professionals mm-hmm. and so that the platform then presents a well-polished product yeah we pipe in you know you know the best first string communicators into multiple locations so that the uh shots fired at the multi-campus right well i'm not i'm not opposed to multi-campus i just don't think that video teaching is biblically ideal and you might say well of course there's there was no video back then but i think what the new testament does promote and advocate and lead us to think about is incarnational ministry that's you know, led and guided and empowered by the spirit. And I just, mm. I think you lose something in video yeah. when it's not in person. So, um, you know, we, we, we do these things and I think it, it, what it doesn't lend to is, is a community of people using their individual gifts and talents to benefit the whole in some way or another. And I think it's in that kind of context that good Christian art of all kinds not just what is usable on Sunday morning for congregational worship, yep. but of all kinds, it, there's an environment where that happens all the more. Take, for example, most churches don't have a choir anymore. Mm-hmm. Now, I know we're not only talking about music, but you don't have a choir anymore. And I'm not saying, you know, choir music may not be your thing, but there is a loss there. Right. Because instead of having 10 people on stage, you know, helping mm-hmm. to lead the congregation in musical worship, uh, you have 50, 60, 70 people on stage. Right, right. And it was, you know, I grew up in, a, you know, in churches where having a choir was the norm, and I learned how to sing harmony. Mm-hmm. I, I learned more about music through 
participating in my local church. And if it had only been limited to 10, especially when you hire out two guitar players, a basser and a drummer, and they're not even from your church. You just found them in a bar somewhere and brought yeah. them in. Uh, which, <laughs> you played that Skinner real well. Yeah, exactly. Come play in church. I wouldn't have learned those things. Mm-hmm. You know, I wouldn't have had those opportunities. Um, and, and, and I'm, I'm kind of the same way where, you know, growing up Church of Christ, uh, we didn't have a choir, but it was all a cappella for part mm-hmm. harmony. Mm-hmm. And so even though I wasn't properly taught, here's how you sing a bass line or the tenor or whatever, mm-hmm. I could still, I still heard it every week. Yeah. Go back and go back and do, do a Google search. I challenge anybody to do this. Go, go find some of the best artists of the last hundred years that you mm-hmm. might think about. Yeah. Um, and see how many of them, if you read their background and their bio, how many of them say reference church as a start, as at least part of yeah. their starting line. First one that comes to mind is Elvis Presley. Elvis Presley, Whitney Houston. Mm. I mean, you could just start going down the list. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think, tell me what you think about this, is I think some of this is because of, we talk about it in sports all the time, is specialization, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, oh, well, by the time you're 12, you need to pick out a sport so you can use that sport to get into college so you can get into college and get a job. Mm-hmm. And you get job trained. Yeah. Uh, and, is that, and that's basically what college has turned into. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's also been to the detriment of artistic ability mm-hmm. is we don't think generally we think go get that one skill so you can have that one job as opposed to being rounded right being able to write a little bit maybe being able i am hopeless visually <laughs> in terms of visual artistic you know i can do some music i can do some writing so i at least have that and then i have the proper quote unquote skills for my job mm-hmm. right uh, but most people it's you know you you learn what you need for your nine to five and then when you're done with your nine to five you go home and you watch tv and you go to bed mm-hmm. and that's about it there's mm-hmm. no other create and this isn't to say that everybody needs to be artistically creative right uh but i think we've kind of lost that and it it shows up most i think in music where you know from a, a young age the ancient church would be teaching their kids to sing psalms hymns spiritual songs to inculcate the faith to them mm-hmm. it's easier to remember when it's in song totally but now we have and this kind of strikes out a little bit of the consumer culture we have now we have you know your big you know your big three if you will in, in the worship world your bethel hill song elevation and they're putting out an album every year mm-hmm. and now you got 10 12 songs from each band every year oh crap i gotta keep up with all of these yeah right yeah. as opposed to man we've been singing this song for 30 years and has that hadn't gotten old yet yeah or or, or like i mean one of the things i love about where we are right now and again i don't think we're doing this uh perfectly on every front not even by a long shot but you know steven our our new worship minister is is writing songs yes we even had a songwriting work- workshop uh, not that long ago where he involved other members of our worship team in, you know, attempting to write music. And we haven't, I wouldn't say we've hit a home run yet. Right. Uh, with Single. A song. <laughs> uh, but we have sung some things that, that have been written in our church. Yes. 
And I think that's cool. And and you you might some people might hear me and say, oh, okay, well, you're just going to turn the local church into an amateur hour, uh, like you know, a bad karaoke session or something <laughs> like that. And I, I'm like, you know what? I hear you. Like you, you know, excellence matters. Yep. Too, and we're not talking about, um, you know, letting just anybody and everybody on the platform. And but, mm. but in some ways, you know, when we we raise the bar so high on the kind of product and the polished product that we want for our worship services. What we effectively do is we turn the majority of the congregation into spectators yep. of these elite performers, yep. as opposed to some effort to and, and listen, it's not going to be as efficient. Nope. It's not going to be as YouTube and Instagram worthy. Mm-hmm. You're not going to have as many highlights to promote, probably. But having a, a, a church culture where there's just more participation and more right. room made for creative expression, that here's what we all know. If anybody's ever attempted to write a song, it's it sucks 42 times before it's good one time oh yeah right and oh you, yeah and so there in some ways we've got to we've lost we have completely lost any sort of pain tolerance in a yes. local church for things not sounding as good as they possibly could right off the bat yes. you know and making room for people to learn and i, I remember not long after you came to rest mm-hmm. um there was a Sunday where I think I was on a missions trip, and um, I, or I was going to be gone. I was I was out of the state. I know maybe overseas somewhere, mm-hmm. and there were musicians that were gone and down. And I think we even had a guest speaker coming in, and it was like you and a and someone else that were available to help with worship. Yep. And there was this new guy at church that we had heard could play guitar. And you remember this? Vaguely, yeah. It, and and I, I said, try him out and see if he can play. Yep. And if he can play, let him play on Sunday. Yep. And you did, and he got up there. Am I remembering that rightly? Yeah. With that, Aaron? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he turned that, that was the first time he had ever played. It was uh, the first time he'd ever people. played in a band. Yeah. And then he ended up becoming our band director. Right. After that. Like we were we were blown away, but we had to we had to give him a shot, right? Because right. he had never done anything like that before. So I don't know. I, I just feel like, you know, we don't have we don't have typically have church cultures that lend themselves to uh, cr- welcoming creative expression and fostering and nurturing that so that really good Christian art continues to come from the local church. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, you, you talked about pain tolerance, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Uh, so one of my favorite albums ever is AFI's Sing the Sorrow from 2003. Mm-hmm. Uh, it went platinum, right? And so, obviously, a bunch of bunch of success there. They released like twelve songs on the album, and I think they wrote ninety something 
if I remember correctly. Was, in order to get to the 12. Yeah, it was, it was like 90 or 100. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't tell you how many blogs I get three paragraphs into and then I trash the whole thing mm. because it's not going anywhere. Yeah, And so instead of fighting with trying to polish a turd <laughs> let's just go let's just scrap it and do something else mm. and I, I i'm sure steven does the same thing when he's writing stuff is nah this isn't going anywhere let's do something else or maybe he's just talented enough that it all works out all the time anyway mm. um but <laughs> no I, I know he scraps stuff all yeah, the time yeah but you're not gonna hit just like you said we're not hitting a home run every time sometimes you ground out to the shortstop that's right <laughs> sometimes you strike out swinging and you end up uh on your butt you swung so hard and missed so hard (laughs) i remember hearing michael jordan say that you know people love to you know highlight and celebrate all of the last second winning shots that he hit yeah but i heard him say one time but there are hundred times more shots that i missed yep Oh yeah, that would have won the game or tied the game. You yep. know, it's like they they don't they don't pay attention to that because it it's 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 usually within a a, a mountain of failure that we find. Uh, one of my mentors used to say it this way: a lot of times you have to move a ton of dirt to find an ounce of gold. Yes, and that's just true. It's true of art. It, it's 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 not a it's not a neat and tidy. Um, efficient process all the it, all the time it can be and i think even should be a a grind sometimes uh, when when i'm working on a song on guitar like that's that's a little above my pay grade it's gonna take a second yeah and, and there's stuff that i've been working on for several months you know where sometimes i just have to put it down mm. give give my give my fingers a rest mm. give my brain a rest even yeah. uh but then come back later and okay let's give a give it a little more effort um and i i also think and i i really got a lot of this uh thinking right now from doug wilson's productivity it's his, yeah. his book on Christian productivity mm-hmm. via the plod instead of the sprint, mm. uh, where you know instead of trying to you know set apart three months to write your novel, we'll take ten minutes a day, mm. write a hundred words a day, and in a year you'll have knocked the thing out, mm. and it's probably going to be better because you've spent a little bit of time with those characters every single day. That's the truth, as opposed to basically cramming for an exam you can think of it that way uh Mm -hmm. so if you spend a little bit of time with your characters a little bit of time with your music every day as opposed to four hours once a week Mm. you're probably going to end up better for it totally agree you know i when i first got into pastoring um i remember you know feeling so excited about the opportunity to preach yeah and then running into pastors who had been doing it for a while, that the more you talk to them, the more you you kind of heard this level of burnout, frustration. They're tired of the preparation, yeah, that's required. Yeah, uh, you know, and I I started to feel some of that after a while um, because what what I found was that I, I put all this work in. Mm-hmm. And then you stand up on Sunday morning, you know, and this was years ago, so we were doing one service. You stand up on Sunday morning, you deliver this sermon you've been working on all week in about 30, 40 minutes, and then it's over. Yeah. And then Monday morning, it starts again. Yep. And I was just getting so burnt out with that. And it wasn't until 
I started to learn about because I think there's a level of art to preaching too. Yeah, there's an art to it's it. It's an oration skill. It yeah. is, and 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 I when I got exposed to expository teaching and the process of preparing to teach, mm-hmm. you know, um, expositionally, um, what I had to do, what I had to learn how to do, was enjoy the journey and the process of that. Right. Is that because sometimes, you know, you work hard all week and on Sunday morning, it's like, that was a home run. That was really. Yeah. And, and then there are other times you're like, that was a, that was the worst thing ever. And, I should quit. And then there are times <laughs> this happens with me with blogs sometimes yeah. where, you know, I, I think I've hit a home run and then somebody comes up and be like, that was terrible. That was terrible. And then you have times where it's like, man, I don't know how this is going to go over. Yeah. And then everybody tells you how good of a job you did. <laughs> it's exactly right. I mean, like when my, when I, after Sunday afternoon and Mary, like I know, like I'll, sometimes I'll come home and it's like, I'm feeling like that was, that was, that went well today. And she's, and I'm like, she's not saying anything. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you think of the sermon? <laughs> yeah, it was good. And I'm like, Okay. What? (laughs) (laughs) Or, like you said, I'll come home and feel like I I should just quit and, you know, dig ditches for a living. I'm terrible. I'm the worst ever. And she'll come up to me and be like, that's that's the best you've ever preached. And I'm like, are you you out of your mind? It was terrible. (laughs) Uh, Did you not hear that awkward pause? (laughs) So, my point is, I I had to learn how to enjoy the journey and the process uh, so much more. And so, now… What's really cool is that I so look forward to the long journey of preparation. Yeah. There yeah. there there is such joy in 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 wrestling with the text. And then once I feel like I've understood the text, let my creative artistic nature that I do believe is being led by the spirit right to order and structure and uh, refine how I'm going to talk about what I've seen. Yes. As Piper would say, how I'm going to stand up in front of the people after go- having gone into the mine shaft and found the gold to come up and hold it up and say, look what I found. Yeah. So there, there's a, there's a, in between going in the mine shaft and holding up the, the nugget right. of gold is an artistic creative expression of communicating that yep. that I think I, I I find myself being so grateful that the Lord has given me that like that, that feels like something that I can bring to the table mm-hmm. because his word is infallible. Um, I want to see it. Well, I want to understand it well, and I need the spirit's help with that. And then I, I also need, I have to have the spirit's help to prophetically, with the spiritual gift of teaching, stand up before the people and say, look what I see. Mm-hmm. And, he, and the Spirit has to do a work in them to be able to see that. And But in, in the middle, this small little part that I play, mm-hmm. still with the Spirit dependence, is the, the creative way in which I get to structure and organize yep. how I'm going to talk about it. Yeah. So that, I think you got to enjoy the process. And I think I think... Taking that approach to Christian art, the digging to the look what I found, mm-hmm. I think if we if we take that approach, I think that can revolutionize how we think about art, honestly. Yeah. Where if uh, I think of, let's just get the elephant, like just kill the elephant in the room. God's not dead. Mm-hmm. It's basically a bait and switch. 
right? And and you see a lot of that with Christian novels, mm. you know, especially Christian romance novels. This chick falls in love with a guy. He doesn't love Jesus. He prays a sinner's prayer at the end kind of thing, right? <laughs> right. Or or God's not dead where it's it's effectively a bait and switch. It's it's bad apologetics in the first place, but the whole goal of it is to get your unbelieving friends to say a sinner's prayer at the end. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to look at how awesome this is. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. It, which which when we did the evangelism class with Brian Alkin uh, last month, that's basically what it came down to. Yep. Look what I found. This happened. This is incredible. Yep. As opposed to let me bludgeon you with some really bad arguments. Yeah. Uh, presented cheesily mm-hmm. and you're going to tip your cap, right? Like, let me sell you this. <laughs> well, and, and I think that's a product of the revivalist movement and yes. the, the seeker emergent church kind of movement that, that has made the gospel and evangelism, this transactional sort of um, mm-hmm. uh, bait and switch, you know, with yep. a, a you know a little bit of charity thrown in here and there, um, you know let let's let's do let's do the the participate with uh, the spirit in doing the hard work of seeing the beauties and glories of God and and what who he is what he's like and what he's done what he is doing and then let's express that. It's like I just taught the the last part of Luke seven on Sunday where this unnamed woman who's a known sinner and a woman of the city, she's probably a prostitute, comes in with a flask of ointment prepared to pour it on Jesus and she's so overcome with emotion that once she gets there and walks up behind him, she just simply starts to weep and wet his feet with her tears and then she lets down her hair and wipes them and then kisses his feet and then pours the ointment. It's just this incredible Mm -hmm. display of affection that was not forced or planned or contrived in any way. It was just expressive worship. Yes. And so could our our art, the Christian art, be that? Could we become so impressed and overwhelmed with this Jesus um, and the glory of God that we, we just can't help but find ways to express it? Yeah. And could we in the local church make some shifts in our priorities in order to make room for that kind of thing to be incubated in Mm -hmm. in the local church, I would say that's a win and not a loss. I think if we get less performance-focused and more focused on that, that's that's a net positive. Yes. Let's leave it there and go to the Inquisition. And this is the Inquisition, where you submit questions to us, and we answer them on the fly. And the way you submit those questions is via a weekly post in the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge. That happens every Monday. And as is tradition, we start with Brian Morris. I don't know, to tee this up, I don't know if you saw what Javi Baez did recently. Uh, The New York Mets shortstop acquired at the trade deadline from the Cubs. Yes, the thumbs down celebration toward the fans. He he wants our thoughts on baseball players booing their fans. And he says, additionally, when is it okay for worship leaders to boo their congregation? (laughs) (laughs) 
Is this Brian Morris? Yes. Oh, he's yeah. such a good, yes. uh, such a smart guy. I like him. Um, <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Brian Morris is a smart guy. No, I like that. That's just a well-thought-out question. Yes. I, I, just, I don't know if he sits down and how much time, Brian, do you plan these questions out? Because this is that's a really good tie-in. It is. It really is. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. Um, I don't think we should ever boo a congregation. Right. Should we admonish a congregation? Yes. Yes. So, to Javi Baez, should, is it okay for a baseball player or a sports star to give it back to the fans that are having an issue with his performance? I would say probably not. Me too. Um, do fans need to be admonished sometimes? Yes. Mm-hmm. Fans get fans are fanatical. Fans fans do dumb things and their their expectations become unrealistic and that I would say at times is unfair to the guys who are I don't know much about Javi what's his name? Bias. And how 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 hard he works and how good a player he mm-hmm. is or is not. I don't know I don't, I don't know a thing in the world about him. But for the guys that are out there laboring, sweating, working hard, trying to do their job, yep. um, do fans sometimes get out of line? Yes. But I don't think it's the player's place to correct that. I mean, that mm-hmm. might be coaches, administration, and or media yeah. that should be doing that. I mean, one of the things – I listen to these local uh, sports talk guys sometimes in the mornings mm-hmm. on the way to the office. And the guy I listen to in the morning who's my favorite, he's the early guy. <clears throat> regularly during the football season, it's almost like he's trying to pastor the fan base of local <laughs> teams. Right? Like, like he he's like, yeah. look, calm down. Yeah. On the way here this morning, on the way here this morning, he's saying, so fans, when when you know our defense uh, allows a long touchdown pass mm-hmm. to happen, we're we're immediately going. Oh, that coach. That coach let them score a touchdown. That defensive mm-hmm. coordinator's paid too much money and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, and you're going to say that about the guy who just pulled the safety over right before that play happened and said, look, it's cover three. If the guy releases, you go with him. Yeah. And then the offense runs a fake. You know, they, they run the – um, the the play action, mm-hmm. they fake the run. The safety is baited into coming up and helping with you know run stop. Yep. And then the receiver gets behind him. They score a touchdown. And the coach just told him, "Don't do that." Right. So he's what he's doing is he's telling the fans, "You got to calm down." Yeah. The coach is doing his job. Take a step back every now and take then. a step back. So I do think fans need to be admonished. Is my point. I just don't think it's the players place to yeah. do that a worship minister on sunday morning <laughs> you know i've told Stephen before you know if the people come in and they're just lazily going about it i don't I, i'm for you admonishing them the right way right you you're right. the worship minister you can do that right now i i will say to javi Baez's credit that guy is so much fun to watch as a shortstop, hmm. uh, I'll show you, I'll show you a video later of some of the tags that he puts down. Like it's hmm. he's so quick, it's it's amazing. He has struggled with the bat the last couple of years. Hmm. Uh, he's hitting two ten for the Mets since they've acquired him, so he hasn't been good yeah. by any stretch of the imagination. So maybe the fans 
are right to boo him a little bit, but there is a line, obviously. There's a line. I was at that Braves wildcard game where people threw stuff on the field after the botched infield fly call. And we were in the next to last row in the upper deck, and there were people behind us trying to throw beer bottles on the field. Spoiler alert, they missed. <laughs> sure they did. <laughs> and, you know, like, this is why I say the players shouldn't be done. The players need to focus on what they do. Yes. And what they do is perform, and, and, and they, need to, they need to focus on themselves and their team. Right. Not the fans, because, honestly, if you, if you work your tail off and you perform well and you win games, the mm-hmm. fans are going to be fine. Right. Um, but I do think there are times when fans need to be challenged and – um, maybe that's the coaches. Maybe that's the owners. Maybe that's the media. Maybe it's that. That that's sticky. Uh, and I'm thankful I don't. I'm not asked to solve that problem. Yeah, exactly. Uh, next question, Hayden Aiken. Do you think that mainstream worship music slash contemporary Christian music distinct, distinguish or equivocate those, however you see fit, is shifting, uh, or will soon shift toward a different style? Uh, he notes that modern praise and worship is pretty much its own genre. And so he asks, is the mainstream sound changing or is about to change? And where is it headed? I, I don't know if I'm it basically is, formed is, well enough to speak to that. I, I, I know there was a shift at least for a couple of years where more electronic elements were being introduced. Like more so synth- we're just talking heavy? about stylistically here? Yeah. That, okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like the, uh, I had a conversation recently where somebody said that the the modern worship sound is soupy, which I think is adequate. Soupy, what uh, yeah. That mean? Like there's so much reverb and stuff sure. going on. Okay. I think that's gonna stick around for a little while longer because it's easy to tug on emotions that way. Hmm. Good, bad, or indifferent. It's easy to do with that style. Um, I do think at least in, in the not as mainstream worship circles, you're seeing more elements of bluegrass and country and a little rock yeah. and roll here yeah, and there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm not opposed to that in the slightest. I'm all for it uh, because worship isn't necessarily a style. If mm. a congregation can sing it, sing it, you know? Yeah. Uh, but I think one thing I th- I've kind of noticed is more and more contemporary Christian music is just becoming worship music in general. I, th- I would say that's true. And I don't know if that's a good thing. It could be. Yeah. But I don't know that it is. Uh, at least on its face where we're effectively treating worship as entertainment. Hmm. I don't know. You know, like popular music today in all genres is just, I don't know. I feel like it's pathetic. I mean, I like mm-hmm. I was cutting my grass last weekend and I turned on Spotify, put my earbuds in and I just I hit radio on a song. Yeah. I don't even remember what it was a Christian song, but I don't it was a worship song maybe. But what ensued from there was nothing more than Christian pop music. Right. And I listened to two or three of them while I was cutting my grass and thought, this is horrible. Yeah. This is just so weak. It's like you know, broiled chicken with no salt on it. It just is, it's terrible. And um, so I don't know, like, I, I don't feel like I'm well, I think what you said is, is really good. I, I don't know if I'm informed enough, but I just, 
I do I do see a trend of more you know worship music is what's popular among Christians right and so therefore that has sort of become the pop you know you got the likes of Carrie Job mm-hmm. people like that that have crossed over from being a worship leader to sort of a Christian pop music icon yeah. in a way and yeah. that's that's a bit concerning to me because I don't yep. want worship to become pop music right that that seems to open a door that I don't think we want open. That might that might be an episode in and of, in and itself. of itself. Yeah. Uh, last question from Matthew Winter. You know he he's going to throw a good question at you. Uh, he asks, why isn't... Okay, so there's the law gospel distinction. Yep. There's also the three uses of the law. So from Luther's small catechism, just for the uninitiated, you have one, the law helps to control violent outbursts of sin and keeps order in the world. Two, the law accuses us and shows us our sin. And three, the law teaches us uh, what we should and should not do to live a God-pleasing life. Mm -hmm. The power to live according to the law comes from the gospel. So there's your law gospel distinction. Mm -hmm. Um, He asks, why isn't this taught more? Are we scared of one antinomianism so no law and against the law you know we're not under law or under grace saying that out of context um and i think on the other side of the same coin uh we're we're also just scared of the law in general and becoming legalists yes to all of that the only thing i would say is that i for for me and i try to talk about this a lot at our church i think that because again, we go back to the revivalist um, seeker, yep. emergent church, you know, conversion as a decision, you know, uh, just, I don't know, movement or um, uh, emphasis of the last 50, 60 years <clears throat> and more is we, 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 we don't have a good gospel understanding. Right, and what's missing from gospel understanding as it relates to sanctification, because this is really what we're talking about. We're, we're, we're mm, you know, yeah. grace and law. Yep. When, as New Testament believers, what we're really trying to understand is what happens after I'm saved, right? And how do I go about that? Well, I think what the New Testament teaches is that there's two things, two crucial things that drive my behavior. Ergo, my pursuit of the law. Yes. After I'm saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Mm-hmm. And that is A, the work of the Holy Spirit, and B, affection for Jesus, affection for God, an overwhelming sense of love, adoration, gratitude, and affection. What did Jesus say to the sinful woman who came in and poured out this oil on, on his feet? He said to Simon, the Pharisee whose house he's eating at, he's like, look, she loves much because she has been forgiven much. Right. So because of a work of forgiveness, grace and mercy that took place in her life at some point prior to her crashing the Pharisee's dinner party with Jesus, because of that, what gave what came out of that, what flowed from that was this incredible adoration and gratitude that presented itself as worship and i would say also would present itself as she ceases to be a prostitute 
Right. She ceases right. to be a woman of the city, not because she's trying to obey a law, but because she's so caught up with Jesus and wholly given over to him that her life changes and conforms yep. to the law. Yeah. I and think- that isn't that's what's not taught and understood because what we want is like you said, we want people to we want to do this bait and switch with them about, you know, tell them how, you know, how much God loves them so that they pray the sinner's prayer and check the box. Mm-hmm. And so I made a decision for Jesus. Now, after that decision, I've got to somehow make a whole lot more good decisions that line up with the law. And that's just not what the Bible teaches. I, th- I think this all kind of flies in the face of the typical dispensational understanding yes. of, of, you know, in the Old Testament, you were saved by following the law. Mm-hmm. Well, no. Uh, you read any of the Psalms, particularly Psalm 119, my delight is in the law of the Lord, right? The delight is in the law because the law reveals God's character, yes. right? And you're and you're obeying because you love God, yes. right? It's the same thing that you just talked about in the New Testament. Yes. The exact same thing. It's, it's not my delight is in the law of the Lord because that's going to get me to heaven one day. Right. It's, right. It's because God did this stuff for us. Mm. And and renovated our hearts. Mm-hmm. Now I love him, and I want to obey and please him. Which it, you know, you can even go back to the Old Testament when God's people are still under the law. Yeah, right, right. Uh, and David is writing things like, "I delight in your law as as much as in all riches." Yeah, you know, like there there's this delight thing happening in him that even prior to the atoning work of Christ and the pouring out of the spirit in time is there's a work of the spirit in the human heart to delight in God such that it leads to obedience. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think the, the, the law gospel distinction is, I think that our lack of talking about it and understanding about it has to do with, I think uh, a minimizing of the spirit's work and, that the real difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is not, I heard some information and made a decision. It is this grace-initiated awakening uh, to the glories of God and adoration and affection that gives rise to you know, obedience on yeah. the other side of that. Yeah, that's really good. Um, yeah, we also have uh, the second use of the law of showing us our sin. Uh, I don't remember which king it was, but that particular king of Israel, where where they had basically forgotten the law forever, they find the law in the temple and they start reading it, and he just weeps. Yeah, right? that was in Nehemiah, or wasn't it? Was it Nehemiah the one? Uh, I can't remember. I know Nehemiah when they were rebuilding the wall. Um, or prior to it, they, you know, um, was it Ezra that stood up at that time? Sounds and, right. And read it, and the people began to weep. And he said, look, don't weep. Yeah. Um, you know, th- there's – God is a God of mercy. So, yeah, I don't know. It, I, I think, yes, the law does reveal our sinfulness, and um, it does keep us aware of um, how short we fall of God's glory mm-hmm. and then – but that that just keeps bringing us back to grace. Exactly, it doesn't which, keep you there, which keeps fueling our affection and adoration, which keeps fueling our obedience. So it's yep. like this, yeah. It's a it's a 
It's not a vicious cycle. It's a gracious cycle. It's a gracious say. cycle. That's why I tell, I tell myself first, and and everyone who would ever stop and want to hear what Bradley has to think about anything is that you got to rehearse the gospel, right? Over and over and over again. It's why communion is such a a vital thing um, in the life of the believer. I think is that we keep coming back to the table and remembering, keep coming back to the table and remembering. <laughs> For the purpose of what? Not to just go through some ritual, but to have our minds renewed with the deadly nature of our sin, what it cost for us to be forgiven, and ergo our incredible gratitude and affection because our debt's been canceled. That yes. Rise to yep. Good stuff. Let's call it there. Still don't have an outro. We'll see you next week.